Hey everybody, welcome to Highly Unlikely with Josh and Janae. No Janae today, it's just Josh. Sorry to disappoint literally everyone, but uh, it's just me. But I uh, have a great couple of friends that are with us today that I'm so excited for you to get to meet and hear from. And they have a great story of faith in Jesus and also a really incredible journey through raising a family, but business and public service. And so Brent and Sandy Sanford, Lieutenant Governor Brent Sanford and Sandy. And uh, why don't you guys say hi? And uh, Hi, Josh. Hi. <laughs> well, so hi. glad you're here. <laughs> Thanks for having us. <laughs> and uh, obviously serving in public service right now. Why don't you just tell everybody what you guys are involved in right now and um, the level that you're serving um, your family, whatever background you want to give them. All right. You want to go first? Ladies oh. first. Oh, thank you. Okay. Uh, well, to date, um, I am doing some government affairs. I work with some conservative uh, groups in the state of North Dakota, um, some nonprofits, mm-hmm. and um, I work with a 501c3. I work with a 501c4 conservative group, and then I also do some work with North Dakota Right to Life. So that's outside of the family. Um, but of course, just manage. I manage the home, and mm-hmm. I manage my husband, and you know, we've got a, a daughter who um, will be 22, and she's going to Arizona State for a graduate school program. Um, we have a son, Nicholas, who um, attends public school here in Bismarck. And then we have Aaron, um, who's going into middle school. So just that alone, you know, managing the house and mm-hmm. the home and the kids and the yeah. dog. Yeah, full mm-hmm. life. Full life, full yeah. life. Awesome. Very busy. You know, I'm currently the lieutenant governor, and I've been— an elected official, I like to say I've been an elected official for one-third of my life. I've been an elected official for um, going on 17 years now. Mm. And um, city council, when we moved back home to West North Dakota to Watford City in my 30s, and then mayor through the Bakken oil boom, influx of new folks into the city, learned a lot. And then um, when Doug Burgum was was deciding whether he's going to be a candidate for governor or not. He went around the state and was meeting with every community over a thousand people. And mm-hmm. he he really set about to learn who some elected officials are that have done a good job and who has he put it to me. He'd he'd like to consider someone for lieutenant governor that could actually take the job if something happened to him. And so um, we met in February or March of 2016. And little did I know he ended up putting me at the top of his list and. And um, talked to some other folks, but asked me in the end to, to run mm-hmm. with him in April of 2016. And that was after he had won 11% of the vote in the Republican primary. But he determined he's going to take, he's going to run against against Wayne Stenjum, who had received 50%. And Rick Becker dropped out of the race. And and so, so I, I said, yes. So he says, I'm the crazy one, not him, for mm-hmm. moving forward at that point. And, but I felt like he... He's going to bring a fresh perspective, a non-government perspective to mm-hmm. this job, of a business perspective, a North Dakotan who'd, who'd done well in his, in his private life and someone who cares deeply about Fargo. And he's going to, and had been redeveloping the, the inner city of Fargo with Kilborn Group with, since he'd, since he'd left Microsoft, that had been his, his role. And, um, you know, I felt like he's going to need someone that understands local government, small business, mm-hmm. Western North Dakota. And the oil and gas industry and the coal industries out west, mm-hmm. and so um, I said yes. And so here we are. It's been quite a ride for yeah. six years. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Well, what I have loved getting to know about you guys is, as I've gotten to know you more, is your Western North Dakota people. That mm-hmm. resonates with me. That's where I come from. And mm-hmm. just you embody so much of what that means and mm-hmm. what you believe in, what you're for, and just how real you are. You know, it's very much, you don't have to guess. It's like you are who you are and your people have integrity and um, and just great values and see that in your family as well. And um, but also people of real passion, you know, and you care, you know, and you want justice and righteousness to rule and to reign and um, in God's kingdom, but also in the systems of the world. And so I'm super grateful that, you know, he tapped you and said, hey, do you want to jump into my 11% over here? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that you said yes, because I've just watched over the last couple of years, especially as it's been so turbulent with it's always it maybe it's always turbulent with politics, but especially in the last couple of years, just all the different things that happened. Sandy, I don't think you mentioned it, but being a respiratory therapist by trade, right? Right. And just all the things that you've navigated through. And mm-hmm. I know I know the pressure that I felt through those times, but definitely and the criticisms and have seen you guys just walk through that and and be strong and be people of conviction and those moments matter because it's in those moments when people who don't have a grounding, they're thrown this way and then that way and then this way. But I've just seen um, your Christian godly character hold you steadfast so many times. And at other times being like, man, I missed it. I got to correct that, you know, and just being so led, you know. And so I would just say that to everybody that's watching, but also just say I respect you guys so much for that and for your passion and your leadership, both of you in your own right. It's really, really awesome to watch and, and grateful for it. But why don't you jump back a little bit? Because I know that's not really where it started. You guys were, you were in Western North Dakota, right? Ended up in Denver and then back in West, Western North Dakota. So can you take us through that journey that your family went through? Well, yeah. And originally we were married and we lived in Fargo, North Dakota. So it starts there prior to moving. Yeah. So why don't you both. go ahead? Um, I'm from Watford City and Sandy's from Williston and, and her mom's from Watford City. And so we knew, we kind of knew of each other in high school. One of her first cousins was one of my best friends in high school. And right. And so then we, we um, fast forward into college years and, and we ended up dating and then eventually getting married and, and, and settled in Fargo. And I went to UND for accounting. My dad said, you won't be coming back to run this dealership. There's nothing happening in this small town. Everybody gets a degree and they leave and they come back for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And that's just how it works in small town, West North Dakota. Mm. There won't be anything for you here. Mm-hmm. We'll see you at Thanksgiving, Christmas, period, you know. And so then you go off and get a degree, and then we got married, and um, we enjoyed Fargo. Sandy was a respiratory therapist. She worked at Merritt Care, which is now Sanford Hospital. Right. I worked at Ide Bailey. Saw the world traveling at work and as a CPA and seeing all these great firms and organizations and nonprofits and governmental entities and for-profits, entrepreneurs on best ways of doing business and the worst ways of doing business. It was a great experience. And um, and so we got to travel in in our twenties and travel to Europe with my folks. Thankfully, with what it's like now to travel, I'm sure glad we did some of that back yeah. then. Right. Where's the best place you've been? Sorry to interrupt your story, but what stands oh out? Germany, doing the castle tours and Rhine River cruise was mm-hmm. very awesome. You know? I and I would say I loved England. Mm-hmm. I loved England and France is beautiful, but England. England was very comfortable and yeah. welcoming. We stayed yeah. in a little village called Great Worth that had hmm. a had had gravestones from the early part of the last century or this last 1100, 1300, 1400 type 
you know, old, old, old church, stone church, stone stone fence around the city, basically. And there's a tiny little village next. It was close to Stratford-upon-Avon and it had a pub. And so we'd go down there at the end of the day after driving around on the wrong side of the street or wrong side of the road <laughs> yeah. around rural England. And and it was it was amazing experience. Mm-hmm. And we're both, we have both have Norwegian heritage. And so we, we both think that'd be kind of cool to go there someday, you know, but we made it to Germany, France, England, and, and had a great time. And in America, we've been all around, of course. You know, you find more and more people that haven't traveled a lot in the United States, which is kind of phenomenal. But we yeah. stumbled upon Cannon Beach, Oregon, a few mm. years ago, mm-hmm. trying to get to the West Coast and a two-day drive, and you wake up, and there's the Goonie Rocks. Right, you, I've been there, yeah. You know, you, you wake up, and there they are from the show, The Goonies, are, it's yeah. right right on the beach. <laughs> Beautiful place. I mean, it could go on and on. But, yeah. but no, the... um. But yeah, had some good travel. And then kids came along, you know, so then then it, we're both firstborn. So that probably gives some hint of the passion and the bossiness. And the, we're both push, push, push. Both <laughs> firstborns, our, our younger siblings say that all the time. But um, So was I, it, will you marry me or you're going to marry me from firstborn <laughs> to firstborn? Who, I mean, was it love at first sight? Did you guys date a long time? Like, we didn't date a long time. Well, well, two years. We were in college and... I well, think whatever I knew, you think is a long time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, right. Relationships. Um, I knew that we were going to get married, be, you know, a year before he proposed. And I I knew that I wanted to marry you. And I just, I thought, well, of course, I'm not going to tell you that because then you'll, you'll run. <laughs> <laughs> you don't tell him <laughs> prematurely, right? right? Um, How old were you guys? We were 22. And um, mm-hmm. when he proposed to me, I was in Fargo and he was in uh, Grand Forks. And he came down one evening and in the middle of the week, in the middle of the week, so it was a total surprise. But you know, when he asked me to get married, it was was it before Easter or after Easter? I'm, of course, I don't know dates. It was but, right around Easter time. But um, I assumed that we would get married like in the fall, or even a. I had this dream of kind of like a Christmas wedding. Mm. You know, who doesn't love Christmas? And um, he said, "Well, I'm ready now. We're getting married now." And, we and I'm were, graduating, and we'll have a job in yeah. August. And what I are we going to do in the meantime? Yeah. I'm asking you now because I'm ready today, <laughs> now. And so he graduated in May from UND, and we were married in July. Wow. And yeah, and I and I know that you know that kind of a quick, you know, people just don't do that. Mm-hmm. They didn't do that then. Mm-hmm. You know, people did have long engagements, and we've been married. It'll be 28 years. Next week. Wow. Mm-hmm. wow. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. That's awesome. So, <laughs> yeah. so we would have probably planned out our children like it, I tell this all the time, age 24, 26, 28, and then yeah. probably three would be good enough, right? No, nope. five. Five. Yeah. She thought she had four kids in her family, so five sounded good. I wanted good. five. We had three in mine. I thought three is pretty good. Yeah. yeah. But we always said five, and then we had one, and we were like four, and then we had two, and we were like three. <laughs> yeah. We're converging on three. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You're very outnumbered at three. Yeah. Yep. Um, so... So Sydney comes along at age 28, and then, and then we fast forward. We move with career opportunities to Phoenix, and then to Denver, and no second child coming. You know, you mm-hmm. think we had a baby. There should shouldn't two years later there be another baby? And and Sandy, she can tell this story a lot better than me, but I'll go really fast. But they, they, she had a diagnosis of secondary infertility, whatever that means. And I thought that doesn't make sense. We were able to have one, right? And um. And so we went through a lot of trials and tribulations and then um, eventually moved back to Watford City. And there's a lot of story to that, to take over family car business and and um, jumped onto city council. And then all of a sudden, Nicholas is born. 
and we're in our late thirties. And then, mm-hmm. and then three years later, pushing forty, and here comes Aaron. You know, so it was like I tell people all the time: it's God's plan; it's yeah, not your right. plan. Especially, right. and something that lets you really feel like you're not in control of things is, is can be that. Yeah, there's so many people that wrestle with infertility, and part of it is actually just wondering if you'll ever get pregnant. And the other part, I feel like, is just your plan being disrupted. Yeah. You right. know, and having to try to navigate that and how difficult that can be. Right. You know? Yeah, we were told after Sydney with this, what they defined as secondary infertility, um, that, yeah, that would be it. Hmm. And um, we were candidates for aggressive therapies in order to become pregnant. And uh, we went and experienced First of all, diagnostically, we explored everything, and then we wanted to explore all the options in order to have a baby. And it was it was too it was too much for us. Hmm. Um, and I don't mean in regards to the expense or we just knew we weren't candidates for that. And so we started exploring adoption. Um, hmm. We looked into um, we started the process even with with a with a company um, in Colorado. And then in the meantime, as we were Exploring that process, we ended up moving back to North Dakota, to rural Watford City, North Dakota. Um, and it was there where years later that I found that I was expecting Nicholas. Um, tell them about Sydney's. Sydney had a dream when she was like six or seven. We had just moved to North Dakota. Back. Yeah, we had. We had so so like from a from a faith perspective, I would say we had we both. Having faith all the way through, our moms were both very, you know, very much Jesus has been a part of our lives since the earliest days. You can't remember days before Jesus and not, mm-hmm. not knowing who our Savior is. But then, but then, um, you know, going through our twenties with with being so career oriented and pros and cons lists and driven, and we're going to succeed in our career, and and then we'll then we'll take care of you know what we're supposed to do with with our the, the faith part of our lives, right? And and I would say in Denver there was kind of a crisis situation of is this all worth it of mm-hmm. working this hard being at the top of our profession and having a great place to live and being in a great place and then you know Empty. feeling like emptiness mm-hmm. and loneliness and so then it was like we just we got to give it up to Jesus and and see where it leads and and see where those doors open and and then doors just started opening and my dad's ready to sell the business and they were going to close the doors and I said I, that's not right SNS Motors has to continue in Watford City and Sandy said, oh, my goodness, if I hadn't known you for this many years, I think you're insane to mm-hmm. want to go move back to, to that little dying town mm-hmm. and do this. But, well, I guess we're going to do it. And so basically put everything on a shelf financially, career-wise, and moved home. And mm-hmm. and um, shortly after that, Sydney, Sydney was five, and, and she had a dream. She was four, and she had a dream. Well, and, and here we're returning from Denver. We, well, we were living in Denver, Colorado, which— in regards to healthcare, was you know like a high level of healthcare and, and experts in all fields of mm-hmm. care, and so when we moved from Denver, Colorado, and moved to Western North Dakota, you're moving to a place that's isolated, um, not high levels of care, and so we had abandoned this idea that that we were going to have more children, hmm. um, except for adoption. Mm-hmm. And so we made this move saying, okay, Sydney is, we've got our one child. And we were okay, even if we were just to have one child, mm-hmm. if that was God's plan. So we moved there and said, God, you have this. 
you know, whatever you want to, we're going to move home now. Because we believe, even though it seemed insane to everybody watching, I mean, in fact, his boss from Colorado called and said, are you, you know, is he okay? I mean, truly, yeah. do you know what you're doing? You have, because, you have a nervous breakdown. Because, <laughs> you know, his boss knew what he was walking away from because his boss had plans. Hmm. And he just, he thought, wow, this is crazy. Um, but we knew that the Lord was, the Lord was pulling at his heartstring, not necessarily mine. Mm-hmm. He was pulling at his, and I just went, okay. Hmm. Okay, I know God has him, so I'm just going to, keep my eyes on both of them. And just, mm-hmm. So I was compliant <laughs> and mm. went home. And um, anyway, we, we end up home, and, and then there's Sydney. Who So Sydney, Sydney's just been such a faithful little being her whole life, and so she she's singing and sings Jesus songs and whatever else, and she wakes up in the morning, comes downstairs. I had a dream. Mm-hmm. Our, my grandmas that went to heaven before us came to me and said that I'm going to be a big sister when I be six. Wow. And I was like, well, that's nice. Yeah, we just went, oh, cute. Cute, cute, cute. I I, I wrote it in my journal and told (laughs) Sandy. I said, oh. Yeah, we just cute. You know, it's. Oh, cute, Sydney. Bless Mm -hmm. your heart. Yeah. And. Didn't think much of it. Yeah. And so then Sydney's six and and Sandy was again looking at, you know, in vitro, what kind of options with the doctor who said, I don't think that's your issue. I think it might be something else, but we need some more tests. First, you have to do a. Pregnancy test, because if you are pregnant, this test will take care of whatever is inside of you in a bad mm-hmm, way. And so mm-hmm. she's like, okay, whatever. So she's going to go back to her doctor in Wilson. And then she has a dream. And she has a dream that they're making fun of her because she's, oh, you always think you're pregnant. You always think you're pregnant, Sandy. And she goes up the next day and she's pregnant. Wow. Yeah. Right. I was supposed <laughs> to have this ultrasound. And and you in order to have this ultrasound, this technique, um, you know, it was... You, you, it required a pregnancy test because doing this sort of ultrasound would have caused a um, spontaneous um, miscarriage. Mm-hmm. And so the night before I travel over to Williston to have this test, um, I had this dream. And, and I'm laying on the table ready to have this ultrasound, and I'm pushing them off because I'm saying, you can't do this because I'm pregnant, and they're kind of mocking me. Well, the next day I go to Williston, yes, just as he said, and I have this pregnancy test, and they said, um, if it's positive, you know, we can't do the test. If it's negative, you'll come back tomorrow for the ultrasound. And I'm driving home back to Watford City, and the nurse calls me and says, you're pregnant. And, were you just floored? Well, yeah, because it was t- it was not, yeah, absolutely, because yeah. this is why we were there for, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely, it was not to be, you know, mm-hmm. clinically and yet there it was. Hmm. There he was. Yeah. And then and then there were at about 20 weeks she went back to the for the appointment and they were in alarm. They said that the baby could be in distress. He might be spontaneously having this baby anytime. You need to go to Billings and check it out. And she's telling me this the whole time, get bags ready, get my mom's bags ready. And she's in Billings and and they're telling her, you know, this could be bad and this is what happens if baby's born at 20 weeks and 21 weeks and so we're learning all this and and they said well what do you want to do she said well we're just going to go with it and and see what happens and well if you go home you can't go home because there's no neonatal units anywhere near Watford City and then her OB from Wellston said I will call the sheriff if you're anywhere near your hometown (laughs) so you need to go to Denver or at least Billings or Bismarck or Mm -hmm. Fargo or something so 
she checked into the Ronald McDonald house in Bismarck at like 21 weeks. And, and Sydney and I were at home and, and we were, you know, it was the two of us and we'd come down on the weekends and, and Sandy was basically in prayer for this long, you know, and, it, and everything just felt right. And in the end, Nick was, Nicholas was born full term, nine pounds on January 2nd. Hmm. So me as the accountant, this she hates this joke, but I tell us all the time, we went past our deductibles and our co-pays because <laughs> they had a, a C-section past term at nine pounds on January 2nd. And wow. I, I asked the doctor, couldn't you do this on the 29th or 30th? Yeah, said, I'm out of town. And she looked at me like, are you nuts after all this? <laughs> yeah. But, and, I, but anyway, January 2nd, this little guy's born at nine pounds. Wow. Yeah. You know, after all that. And then three years later, <laughs> was that when you went to... Our friend's house in Williston, and yeah, but we even found out with Aaron. Even with Nick, before we before I left for the Ronald McDonald House in September of two thousand seven, um, I I had gone to the altar at our Assembly Church in mm-hmm. Watford City, and um, I mean, I just brought everything to Jesus and just said, you know what? Regardless of outcome, we're I, he's yours. This baby is yours, and um, and so I had given him the burden. And then before I left for the Ronald McDonald House, um, all the women, the spirit-filled women of our church were called over um, to my home. And, I mean, they just kept coming into my living room. I mean, first I thought it was going to be two people, and then I thought, well, I knew that the two or four or six people that would be there. And then there were 10 and 12 and Mm. 18, and I think there was over 20 women in our little living room in our home, and they just laid their hands on me. And in Watford City, in my living room, and this is, you know, right before I'm leaving, and they just laid their hands on me, and I just, he just took everything mm. out of, there was no anxiety, there was peacefulness, mm-hmm. and I went to Bismarck and checked into the Ronald McDonald house, and I'm sure my doctor thought I was crazy because I just said, it's going to be okay. I would mm. tell the doctor, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And at that point, when I first moved there, I was seeing him two or three times a week because yeah. they really wanted me in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And I said, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And um, I just knew. The Lord just told me, it's, everything's going to be fine. You just have faith in me. You just keep your eyeballs on me and your heart on me, and I'll take care of this little guy. Mm. And that kiddo was not born until January of 2008. Yeah, wow. And, and how the Lord works in all these mysterious ways. So the doctor, we meet the doctor. Where are you from? And he's kind of hyper. He said, they, I'm from UND Medicine. They called me the doctor of rock. You know, I was in, and he's very, just a funny man. Where are you from? Wilson Watford. Oh, my very best friend from college from Watford. You'll never know him. He hasn't been around this country for 30, 40 years. His name is Steve Hovitt. And that, that, it's her uncle. Oh, wow. Was the doctor's best the friend. Little I know. Just so at ease. All the little yeah, you yeah, know. assurances. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's something, because I know there's more to this story of not just being led to Watford, you know, have more children but it was also God's timing for a lot of other things that were about to happen and I remember actually like first meeting you and thinking oh people that are in a high level of government service like you almost for me I like almost associated that with ambition like there must always be ambition and what's the next hill to climb kind of thing and I remember just like meeting you guys and realizing like oh they're not led by that Mm -mm. you know it's like it's it's led by it's led mm-hmm. like I've just seen consistently like with this story with your kids and also coming back to Watford and what was about to happen in Watford and then um, you know being asked to step into higher office it's like you were obedient 
and then door a door opened. Yeah, right. you know, and you were obedient, and a door opened, and yeah. it's almost stuff you never could have planned it or predicted it. That's it's right. just that you were yeah. led, and you, then you were in the right place. Yeah, for what God wanted to do. Yeah, I love that. I would say some of it for me. I'm I'm more reluctant, and I'm kind of dragging my feet. I kind of I feel like I've got a rope around him, and I'm like, pull, and he's pulling me mm-hmm. <laughs> the whole way. Um, yeah, a, a lot of the time, and then. I just have to just get on board, wake up, grow up, and and the Lord kind of just. But she gives the kick when needed. She yeah. um, so <laughs> yeah, so okay. I was on the I was on the phone talking to one of <laughs> Doug Burgum's advisors when and he was fishing me out to see if I'd be interested in being in the the top three or four list for lieutenant governor. And I was she could see what I was doing and she she was like, "What's going on?" She could tell I was like getting close to like an eye roll type situation or something. And she just, "What is going on?" I put my hand over the phone and I said, what's going on? She goes, don't do that. There might be a door opening here. Hmm. Don't do what you always do. Hmm. Take it seriously. Okay. So get back on. Okay. Yep. That's fine. You know, but, but she, I say that all the time. Sandy's one that said there could be a door opening. Yeah. Be serious. Take it serious. Yeah. And she says that to me probably weekly. You know what? There could be a door opening here. Oh. Hmm. Well, just opportunities I don't take. Yeah. But she says, you know, you could take these opportunities. I'm like, no, I, I have a job at hand right here with this job and with all the things happening in the state. Mm. And it, when, whenever someone says, this would be good for your future, for you, I just think, okay, now I have to really look, feel and look and dig deep to say, yes. okay, is this something that I really want to do? Is it yes. good for the people right now? Is it good for my, what I've got for the job at hand right, right. now? You know, right. it's that, it, that, that is the last reason that I want to do something. Mm-hmm. You know, some event anywhere, you know. And so it's hard to explain, but but Sandy's the check all the time of yeah, but don't don't be so questioning of everything or you know, or not trying to not be ambitious. You know, it's mm-hmm. not that either. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got to take advantage of the role that the Lord has put us into. Yeah, and I think there's a to its flip fullest. side of not not being willing to be courageous and stepping in when God has said, I've prepared this for you. you take know? your responsibility. And they're right? yeah, they're it's both sides. Well, yeah, yeah and no- mm-hmm. and knowing his voice versus um, well discernment, and knowing his call versus because politics is incredibly like, and I use the word perverted. It's manipulative. Mm-hmm. It's um, people will try to use you and plug you in. Where okay, so um, if if you don't have a compass, and if you, I, I can't even imagine how people feel if they're not people of faith. And I'm going to go a step further. Um, I can't imagine people without being filled with the Spirit, mm-hmm. Holy Spirit filled. That is probably the difference mm-hmm. for us. Because, yeah, yeah, we're not just attending church. It's not legalistic for us. We're not just going through the, these paces of saying we're faithful or being Christians. We're asking the Lord to fill us up, and He's in our heart and our mm-hmm. mind, and He is in control. Mm-hmm. And so if we didn't have that, yeah, the ambition, because people, you know, do this, do this, because this is good, this looks good, mm-hmm. you know, because there is a, mm-hmm. a machine mm-hmm. yeah. that has plans for—and it's not just even politics, it's everywhere, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah. Um, and I think that's that's the difference. Mm-hmm. And so when I tell him, 
let me just be clear here. When I've told him to accept this, in, these invitations, there's so many people over here that say, don't do it, don't do it, because he wasn't chosen, perhaps, mm-hmm. by the machine or, or whatever it is. But this is my point to him. You do it. You, the Lord, is open this door. Just jump. Because mm-hmm. I'm with you. We're jumping together. God's got us regardless. Yep. So let's just go and mm-hmm. jump. It's very easy to get sucked in, into the machine, just try to climb a ladder. You know, people, I think, wrestle with that all the time. Yeah. Because you can mm-hmm. build your life certain ways, you know? Yes. Or I remember when our church was without a pastor before I stepped in, and it was like, oh, there's a lane here to like jockey for position, yeah. you know? And just saying, yep. not going to be about that. Not going to play. You know, not going to play. I'm not that playing. Way. Please stop asking me to play right. that way, you know? Mm-hmm. And and That's I just right. think God has honored that in you guys. I think he's honored it. That's why we care about it so much. Um, mm-hmm. One of the guys in the room is wearing a shirt that's about meekness, like strength under control yeah. and mm-hmm. being strong, but being able to like bridle that back and say, no, but God, you have to lead. Mm-hmm. Even when I'm tempted to just right. run. So, right. So back to the story, you're in Watford, things start to explode there, yeah. right? You jump into office, right? You guys are serving in a capacity there. Yeah, business went crazy. I mean, we went from... We had we had an increasing sales every year for ten years, and so mm-hmm. from two thousand four to two thousand nine, we'd had Nick, and then pregnant with Aaron, and then I was like, okay, third child on the way. My business went from where I was hoping that my early projections would be to do like twelve sales a month, and we did fifty four sales in two thousand nine in November two thousand nine, hmm. and the fleet sales the. People with oil leases, with good jobs, with new population coming in, and no new dealerships of any kind on the horizon for another seven or eight years, by the way. And when and you so, guys picked up and moved to Watford, it was sleepy. No idea that was all coming. No, no, no my dad had been selling, my dad and his cousin Dave had been selling like six to nine vehicles a month, and they wanted to be retired so badly. Mm-hmm. I, tell, I tell people there, there wasn't a wrench or a roll of toilet paper left in that building. It was just mm-hmm. them and their secretary, Bev, who was their first cousin, and they, and their, they pretty much let everybody go. I mean, it was time yeah. to just, it was just winding down to nothing. And the town felt like that. Most of the buildings on Main Street were empty. And it mm-hmm. was hard on us. It was, um, you know, we were obedient to the Lord and we were very happy to be close to our families are both from there. So mm-hmm. we were surrounded by family. Even in Watford City, my grandparents are my family, my aunties and uncles and cousins. But it was hard because we had lived in, we graduated and lived in Fargo for a time frame. We'd been in Phoenix. We'd been in Denver. And I was spoiled, (laughs) spoiled by not just coffee spoiled, spoiled, spoiled. And I was used to Denver. I was used to Mm -hmm. having things at my fingertips. And um, I had become a little bit of what I would say, a little bit high maintenance. Mm Yeah. Yeah. And I, I go there every now and then. I got to come back out. Yeah. <laughs> so it still happens. <laughs> but it was hard in Watford City because yeah, I remember— it was remember, like going on a mission trip uh, well, to move there at that time. I would say welcome world. to the outpost. Yeah. There's no hospital. Well, there's I mean, no daycare. But, yeah. There's no jobs. But he had work no to houses. do in us. Yeah. He had work yeah. to do in us. And I remember Brent said to me, everybody here— I mean, I had some I had culture shock, and this was— a hometown that my mom grew up in, and I just lived down the road, and I was really having some culture shock. Um, but anyway, we got through that. I grew up a lot mm-hmm. during that time frame, and that's what was 
why he put us there. So then, so then June of 2010 was, I had to decide if I was going to run again for city council or if I was going to run for mayor. And I had, I kind of decided I'd just be a dad and a husband and keep this business rolling because you couldn't hire anybody. Everybody was getting oil field jobs and the wages were crazy. And so I had the same staff with that much more going on. I was very busy at work and thought, I could probably call it good with one term on city council. My dad made two, but my grandpa had been the mayor for 20 years and been on city council for 28 years. And so I kind of oh. had that in me of, you know, there's a reason for service and it helps the community. And it's important for the right people to do this. And and, and there was a city council meeting where it was like all the man camps and the drilling rigs were heading to McKinsey County, to our county in 2010. And they were saying, where do we put these man camps? Where do we put these skid shacks? Where do where do we do a lay-down yard for pipe? Where are the trucks going to go? And asking these questions, and everybody just looked around each other. What, what did we do in 1983 when this was here, and then it all left? What are we going to do? And so our engineering firm said, you're going to have to do an infrastructure study, and it's going to cost a hundred and some million dollars to put this together. And I thought, I have to stay. I'm a CPA. I get how this number stuff rolls together and, and the, how the financing works and how it works in Bismarck and county commission, all of it. So I had breakfast with the mayor and told him I'm thinking of running for, for mayor. And he said, oh, I guess I was too. So so my egg teacher when I was in high school. I was going to say, this is somebody you had respect for. Yeah, mm-hmm. my egg teacher when I was in high school. And so Kent and I ran. It was a contested election for once, and and, and I ended up beating him. And in the end, I believe it's, it was tough on his family and tough on some of our friends and that. But in the end, he passed away mm-hmm. by the time that term was over, mm-hmm. surprisingly at age 60 from a I can't remember what it was. His stomach. It was. It was a bad thing. It was quick. Yeah. And so, um, he passed away, and he had time with his grandkids in that mm-hmm. time. But in that time, it was something where it was an incredible financing exercise of how do you, how do you bring in five times more people? And the school enrollment went from five hundred fifty to twelve hundred kids in two years, and then yeah. continuing marching towards fifteen hundred. And by the time I ran again for mayor in in, in fourteen, so so it, when Doug. Taft to me, I'd been in this for 10 years and six as mayor, and and the population was up five times. Sales tax per month was up 50 times. The number of kids being born, by the time we moved to Bismarck, Aaron's class, our youngest, was in a class of 190. When Sydney, our oldest, was born in the year 2000, six kids were born in that area. Hmm. So it's like 30 times the number of kids being born yeah. per year and wow. 50 times more sales tax, that kind of growth. So. Which for Western North Dakota, I mean, and those communities, that's just explosive. No, and then and then it wasn't the growth wasn't really validated in my mind until the census took place in 2020, hmm. and it was as of April one, so after the pandemic, and people left the apartments and the trailer parks and they went home, like a couple week vacation. Little did they know they'd be on lockdown for a year, but they, yeah. but the population actually shrunk even in a two weeks to three week period. But they still counted six thousand seven hundred people in Watford City, and in the census in two thousand ten mm. was one thousand seven hundred. Wow! It's almost four times growth. Right. And it was the even with that, with some people leaving in that time, McKinsey County had the highest growth of any county by far in the nation at that mm. time. And so that's what we went through. Mm-hmm. And it was a short amount of time. We were there for a window of time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was extraordinary. We learned a lot, you know. And um, mostly, it's just. A, to stick to what's right and don't right. pick favorites and don't. What I didn't like about previous regimes was it was always who's well whose house is that and who, whose business is that and no it shouldn't matter. You have to have the right system, the right ordinances, the right rules, right laws, and 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 just stick to them. 
-hmm. And then other people might come and find that it's a good place to come and live and they have an equal shot and equal chance. And, mm -hmm. and so fairness and, and, you know, and we've seen it was a business friendly place, but also hopefully it was, it was, you know, as friendly as you can be coming into that chaotic of a situation for families. So we right. went into daycare projects and a new hospital and new schools and, and um, yeah, it's, it's extensive and it's, it's, it's still chaotic out there to have that much growth, but, but it was a family focused type growth. Yeah. So let me fast forward a little bit to 2020 when mm -hmm. and everything that took place in everybody's lives through that year. And I know Sandy, so much of what you're doing has just kind of exploded. I think over the last couple of years, even your influence and um, what you've been speaking into and, um, and then things that you're trained in, in leadership for a long time, you know, you come to a good crisis and all that stuff comes to the surface. And so I would just love to know what, what was the most challenging, what's been the most challenging for you from COVID and moving forward, you know, from 2020 forward? Um, what have you, just as a leader, as a believer, you know, what have you had to wrestle through? Um, and then what, what has given you resolve that's like, here's like what I'm pushing for and believing for next. Mm. And so kind of a, a twofold question. But. I can give a quicker answer maybe just, and then she can go. But mine, mine is that to have that discernment of what's right and, mm -hmm. and not listen to those opposing voices. And when right away in March of 2020, it was like apparent, this is so political. This is actually turning into something that was evidently nothing in January when President Trump put on the no-fly orders to China. The Congress thought this is this is him being a xenophobe. This is nothing. This is not anything to worry about, this virus. And then the week after the impeachment fails, all of a sudden society is going to end mm -hmm. and schools are going to close and we're going to send our kids home. And we had our own human services director saying, don't send the kids home. They're, it's it's going to be a hard thing to recover from if we're if we're going to be sending kids home. I mean, mm -hmm. this, this upsets the apple cart on everything that they've got in place. And, you know, little did we know, you know, Sandy ended up jumping in um, when, you know, about nursing homes and, and what was happening to our vulnerable. But but not having cooler heads prevail and not having leadership in D.C., having that discerning thought process of, mm. wait a minute, what's truth here? Mm. What's fiction? Why are we manipulating ourselves and manipulating each, manipulating each other like this? Is it because this is an election year? And so every election year, every four years, we're going to have extreme politics. And this was, this like took the cake, you mm. know, to, to take a, and, and, you know, a, a bad flu year, we would have called it in other years. And all of a sudden, no, it's a pandemic and it could wipe us all out. And we have to force each other into staying home and closing businesses and not having church services on Easter and, and, and closing down schools for entire years in some of our, some of our neighboring states. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's incredible what we went through and not to have that discernment of what this really is. And it mm -hmm. seems like it's starting to sort out now that, no, there's there's school districts in Fargo and West Fargo that had different strategies on masks, different strategies on who goes home and who's in school and the same statistics, you know? So so what is the best path moving forward? Let's mm -hmm. have cooler heads prevail and say, how do you treat someone that gets this virus? Mm -hmm. Period. That's what we should be worried about. And if it's more vulnerable or subject to 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 more worrisome conditions than how do we protect the more vulnerable, you know? And and those should have been the worries up front, Josh. It shouldn't shouldn't have taken two and a half years to get back to the common sense. So that's, you, that's frustrating. How do you do that when emotions are high, people are afraid, 
you have agendas coming in and then you're trying to let cooler heads prevail, you know, are there, did you discover through the last couple of years of, you know, how do you kind of stop the chaos that can ensue and allow that to happen? Do you have any thoughts on that? I don't know how you do that without faith. I don't know how you do it without being grounded and listening for that, that small voice and listening and, and having the concept of discernment in your own Mm -hmm. heart of, okay, what is this really Lord? Or lay it out in front of me, you know, and then and it's it's validated when you look back and say, okay, this was not TB, this is not tuberculosis, this was not Ebola, this is this is not polio, this was this is COVID nineteen. This mm-hmm. is we've had other COVID, we've had COVID before. You were gonna have COVID again, mm-hmm. right? You know? And so, yeah, that's where we are. I mean, it's it's uh, and what and, and Sandy was just talking in the car on the way over that there's the the CDC is putting out suggestions on masks again and mm-hmm. and so what are we going to do about it and so we don't know what's going to happen this has been a polarizing election cycle too what's going to happen in the 23 2023 election cycle or the the legislative session in North Dakota what's going to happen in Congress if one of the chambers switches to Republican so there's balance what are they going to do when they have balance are they still going to fight about this or are they going to try to get something done it's it's concerning of where mm-hmm. we're going to move what's going to get us out of this fighting mindset about coronavirus mm-hmm you know, what is it? I don't yeah. know. You know, I'd like to add, um, as you said, you know, you mentioned I'm I'm a registered respiratory therapist, or I was. I've <clears throat> I've let my license go, and I am part of the great resignation in the mm. last year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I've left my profession um, based on um, everything, the, the mandate specifically, mm-hmm. the shot mandate. But if you would have told me a month before <clears throat> COVID entered the United States that we were going to close down our nation— and as an American, I couldn't go to work. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have told you 30 days prior to that that you were crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, but we were watching COVID. Um, he was watching it, what was going on in Europe. And then we were watching the coast. We were mm-hmm. listening to see what was happening on the East Coast and the West Coast, because that's where it came in first. Right. And it was February, in January and February of 2020, and I was watching this as a respiratory therapist. And I was, you know, they were doing these treatments or they were following these protocols that were not necessarily um, what we call standards of practice in the United States, national standards of practice. Mm -hmm. And so in watching this, you know, you know, why was this happening? Because, because the, the CDC was listening to the World Health Organization and they were deferring to, you know, treatments that were working in Europe or across the world. Mm-hmm. And and I told Brent, I said, this is really incredible. We in America have had policies and procedures and protocols to treat uh, respiratory distress syndromes and, you know, sudden respiratory distress and H1N1. And I mean, we're the leaders of the world in critical care and in ICU. And we deferred to the World Health Organization on so many things. And I told him, I said, they're actually, you know, in my opinion, um, the United States and in critical care hospitals were not utilizing normal standards of practice and protocols. And they were, it, it looked like they were doing a lot of damage mm. that didn't necessarily have to be done. Mm-hmm. Not giving 
nebulizers and inhalers and traditional respiratory well, medicines protocol. where she saw it. Like, mm-hmm. why are you not doing the traditional yeah, so inhalers, nebulizers, you know, what's happening? Why are you just giving comfort measures? They're, mm-hmm. they're not yeah. going to, if they need oxygen or they need to open that airway, they're not going to survive. And so it was, it was, Sandy was right away finding inconsistency of yeah. what's going on. And I really did think it was straightening itself out. I really did. I mean, I, you know, I was cautious. I mean, I know there's virus. I mean, I was respectful of, of, of this when it came in March and April and, and I was listening and pretty, um, okay, we're going to shut down for a couple of weeks and okay, we're going to comply and until about May 1st. Mm-hmm. And, and then um, with the masks, you know, again, as you know, they've said, follow the science right away. Well, there's really the science, all the studies that I had um, with a fabric or surgical mask, um, there was no science there. I mean, it's courtesy, mm-hmm. absolutely a courtesy. And I've worn a mask and situations in the emergency room or, you know, to, you know, as a shield. I mean, it, courtesy, you know, to, so something, a splash guard. Um, so as a person that's worked clinically, I went, okay. Um, but not to stop a virus. Mm-hmm. And so when, when the mandates and this really hard push for mask came forward and they, you know, they pushed that agenda with follow the science. Well, I knew there was no science. Mm-hmm. And as he referred to, now we have wonderful studies have now, um, there was a Browns, Browns Institute study that came out last week, and they did use numbers in North Dakota. They used Fargo numbers versus West Fargo numbers because the Fargo students had to mask, they were under a mask mandate where the West Fargo schools were not. And there's just, there, there's no difference if you wore a mask. Mm-hmm. And that's what he was referring to. So I do believe in science. Mm-hmm. I really, truly do. And now we're finally seeing that what we did 24 months or 24 months ago was not science. Yeah, I've noticed that too. That and some of it, I think, was grasping for control in people's lives, trying to get a yeah. handle. Because I remember looking out the window in you know May 2020 and thinking, mm-hmm. "Is my life ever going to be the same? Like, when am I going right. to be able to go to a movie or like right. you know?" Yep. And kind of grasping. Right. But the hindsight is, no pun intended, but 2020. Yeah. You know and you look back and you see, man, there's a lot of stuff that we did that I think out of not knowing what was going on was right. probably right in the moment. Yes. But then a lot of things where you realize, man, it didn't really make a difference when you look just statistically across right. the board at what happened. And that's, I think that can be hard to accept too when your life has been very disrupted, you know, by different things. And so, so I know that has motivated you into other causes and stuff that you're right. working with. And so what is the, out of the challenges that you guys faced, what now are you like fixated on, excited about looking looking for the future to move forward and what are you passionate about? Well, I personally, I could say everything that we've just gone through the last 30 months, you know, COVID, overreach, everything that we've endured, <clears throat> as hard as it's been, um, and has, I mean, every, nobody was exempt from it, first mm-hmm. of all. Everybody was it affected all of us. But I would say that it's actually exposed a lot. It really has. It's pulled back. I mean, <clears throat> we now know who's who and what's I mean, it's really clear to me on on these agendas. And um and I'm encouraged because I have I have more people that I'm working with right now that I would have said two years ago were kind of not paying attention, and they are now 
watching and awake. So so my camp and my people is just grown. Mm. It's just grown. So I'm I want to be encouraging to people. Um, I'm working again with North Dakota Right to Life, and I'm working with some conservative um, groups. But I want to encourage people. I want I want people to um, pay attention and not be afraid to speak up. You know, if you have a child in public school, I want them to know what's going on, bring it to their school, but but get involved. Mm-hmm. Get involved. You know, I want locals to. You know, I don't. Our kid, we have one child in pu- public school. We have one child in private school. <clears throat> I'll tell you what, if we see, if this happens again, my kids are coming home. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to go through this again. Mm-hmm. So I really want people to be ready to make that those those decisions as well. Mm-hmm. We cannot give, we, we can't be so um, complacent. And because, um, boy, it is easy, you know, to send, we were just talking about schools, you know, schools coming up and it's so mm-hmm. rigid and <clears throat> it's kind of easy too to send your kid to school. Yeah. Versus homeschooling. And um, I just, I think we can't be lazy. Yeah. We have to be mo- willing to move really fast. We talk about that a lot. Every time that you send your child somewhere, you are delegating them to someone's care. Right. That's right. And who have I delegated my children to? Mm hmm. You know, so that I can work or so that I can. Right travel or so that I can, you know, and, and just always assessing, is this where I want and what I want my child delegated to, even if it's convenient, you know, if right now the seeds that are being put in their life are going to reap a harvest later on, it's such, those are such important decisions, you know. Yeah. We might've been too comfortable in 2019, but I mean, the, the, the the shelves aren't stocked anymore (laughs) and the car, the car lots are not stocked anymore and gas isn't two bucks anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, so hopefully people are I would hope for a couple things: less complacency, more paying attention, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and number two is more personal responsibility. is is seen as an act, an actual solution for these things. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's let's take if if we're worried about COVID, let's let's be honest about the therapeutics that are available. Mm-hmm. Yes, let's be let's be honest about the tools that are available now, the knowledge we have now. That mm-hmm. let's make sure people stand up and say we don't want to do those responses that we had. And and you can see nationwide that this this the school. The schools were a referendum in Virginia, and they also were in a lot of legislative districts and a lot of school board areas in in a, in a lot of states, you know. And so mm-hmm. the so the parents seeing this, you know, went for you know changes on school boards. And so mm-hmm. so let's see that come to fruition. And back to the personal responsibility and respect for for individuality too. Mm-hmm. And but we also know a lot more because right. I tell you what, there's so many responsibilities that we have as Americans for the the turmoil the turmoil in the world and as North Dakotans and. And right now, I mean, I'm just excited as always about what we have for agriculture and energy and those resources and what we have for work ethic and mm-hmm. business friendliness and and accepting and, and, and willingness of quality of life type attributes. We're actually scoring high on quality of life attributes because mm-hmm. of how we're handling ourselves versus some other states the last few years. And so let's, let's take advantage as North Dakotans. Let's be positive. Let's work together. Let's not get bogged down in slinging mud on things that really don't matter. And mm-hmm. so I hope we can move past those times. And I'm always optimistic and I'm I'm optimistic for the next legislative session in the next in the next couple of years and we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Well I've noticed in my world that there's pastors who have said, you know what, with 
everything that's happened and recently Roe v. Wade and mm-hmm. so many other things, they've said, hey, I'm going to take a voice um, of what morality and godliness is. Mm-hmm. You know, And I think it's empowered pastors to say like, oh, I have leaders who are with godly wisdom, humility, meekness, speaking truth into the spheres of society where I think before people said, don't, don't, don't say those things. You'll chase people away. Mm-hmm. You know, right. but I, I feel like people are searching for right. solid ground, yes. you know, and for truth and for biblical truth in the midst of all of this. Absolutely. Right. And I, I think it's been empowering for pastors because even if they don't feel like they have the words to speak or they don't know what their voice should sound like in that conversation, there's leaders who are emerging with great wisdom and meekness who are giving voice to it. And I think we've also just learned that there's people that have differing views that I can coexist with. You know, right. You know, and we can have a good conversation about it. Right. Um, and not necessarily agree a hundred percent um or land in the same space, but still be in a relationship. Yeah. You know, and that's that's possible, that you is know, right. to do that. And it's um, felt like we've lost that. So yeah. Yeah. Keep and that I'm, up and you have a very important job. Right yeah. Now. And I feel like I'm hoping that that's what's recovered. Yeah. Through some of this has been we're tired of fighting and I know. And, and drawing lines in the sand and let's, we might not agree, but let's reason together and, and, and go with what you believe is right, you know? And so I'm, that's what makes me hopeful about mm-hmm. even everything that we've walked through. And, mm-hmm. and I've seen man, North Dakotans for me as a pastor, our church is resilient, more resilient than I ever, if you would have told me, you know, two years ago that we would not pass an offering bucket for two years and our church would be okay. Yeah. You know, something that classically you just do in church or right. that people would still come even after enduring, man, what do we do? How do we handle this? It's, it's shown me, man, the church is resilient. People are resilient. North Dakotans are good people. Right. They are resilient. They want truth and righteousness and justice like we've talked about. And so, yes. I don't know, I've found solace and in, in hope in that, you know, that... The world's not going to hell in a handbasket, you know. Well, There's we're hungry for this. Yeah, yeah, we're hungry for truth and for what's right. So right. Mm-hmm. I think it makes an opportunity. Mm-hmm. So, well, again, I just want to say, from observing your lives, I would just love to affirm, as an example to other people, of what it is to just say, "God, I think this is where you're leading us," and we don't have it all figured out. We don't know why necessarily. We don't know what it's going to look like, but we're going to go with you and seeing that over and over again in your guys' lives with your kids, with moving to Watford, with stepping into the positions that you're in right now. It makes me excited to watch, you know, where God continues to lead you and, um, and how you influence others to be people of conviction and integrity. And so thanks for being that example in my life and in Janae's life. And we appreciate, um, that there's godly leadership at that level in our state that we're under. And, um, so just admire that about you guys and, and I uh, want to affirm that. So Thank thanks you, also. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks, thanks also for making time to do this. No, it's fine. I know there's people that want to get to know you on this level, and you can't have a coffee with everybody necessarily. So <laughs> oh, that's we why love. we do this. <laughs> it feels like we had a coffee <laughs> yeah, together. It does. So, yeah. So thank you guys. And um, thank all of you for watching and listening. And again, if you appreciated this, tell a friend about it, share it, like it, drop a comment, whatever it is. And uh, we want to know that this is something that you appreciate too. And so uh, this is the last episode of the season for Highly Unlikely with Josh and Janae. And so we're working on season two coming very, very soon. 
And uh, so glad that you've been with us through these last several episodes and there's more to come and it's going to be good. The best is always ahead. So thanks for joining today.